Amen. If you have your Bibles today, or if you have a Pew Bible today, if you would turn to page 906 in the Pew Bibles, and uh, hopefully in your own Bibles, if you would go to Acts, the 21st chapter, beginning at verse 30. And for a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you... Um, to Winton Hills for just a moment. I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not having an out-of-body experience. I do know that we are sitting at the corner of Hamilton and Grosbeck. Um, but, but since you want the full flavor, um, I'm going to pretend that you're at Winton for about uh, 30 seconds, and I'm going to ask everyone to stand. It is customary at Winton when we read the scriptures we stand. We do that only because in Luke 4, uh, it was Jesus' custom that he stood at the reading of, of, of the word. doesn't make it any more special, but it definitely doesn't make it any less special. Are you um, at Acts 21, starting at the 30th verse? There you'll find these words. The whole city was aroused. The people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut while they were trying to kill him news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar he at once took some officials and soldiers and ran down to the crowd when the rioters saw the commanders and his soldiers they stopped beating Paul the commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was that he had done and what had he done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed him kept shouting away with him. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I ask you something? May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led some 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago. And I'm going to stop the reading there. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, hearing of his holy and divine word. You may be seated. I'm going to ask... Um, if uh, my my first slide could be be put up, I am a I am a slide junkie now. I am a uh, actually that's not my first slide. The title the title slide. Praise God! Thank you. It was already up. It, it just it just. Fool me a little bit. I'm going to ask you to bow for a moment 
and pray with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we come now to a prepared table that you said would be for a prepared people. We pray now that you prepare us, that we may receive your word, that it will go forward and forth like a two-edged sword. It will cut where it needs to cut. It will caress where it needs to caress. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The, the title of my uh, message today, um, as you have seen in the bulletin, is Mistaken Identity. Mistaken Identity. Paul has found himself in a true predicament in our text today. But not unlike Paul, I believe today that the church is in the midst of an identity crisis. I believe today that there is evidence that proves this and that wherever there is a mistaken identity, it can lead to an identity crisis, a crisis of identification. And wherever there generally is a crisis of identity, it will find its root sometimes in the case of that which is mistaken. Pastor Drew, um, even though I didn't have an opportunity to be here physically, um, I was here spiritually with him last Sunday. Um, And I I thought about telling him something mystical, you know, like I had had an out-of-body experience. I really didn't. I I went to the website and I I listened to his his sermon. And uh, he made some wonderful, wonderful points last week because he talked about... um, this issue of this this dangerous book, this dangerous book called uh, the B-I-B-L-E. I listened last week very closely because he said that there were those in the congregation who had asked him, how did he come to the realization personally of of needing to do what he felt God was leading him to do. And I heard him cite that, you know, he was uh, following the teachings and, and the speakings of Billy Graham and Dr. King. And, and then he, he made the mistake, uh, but I believe God ev- never makes any mistakes, to really start reading this. And the more he read it, the more he found, and the more that I found, it truly truly is a dangerous book, especially if if one decides to take this book serious. Um, I'm sorry, I forgot to share something with you. In in, in the African-American tradition of of preaching, there is a word that that means uh, agree, and it is amen. If you... you, If, if you happen to hear something that you agree with today, 
um, you can say amen. If you happen to hear something that maybe you don't agree with, but strikes you home, hits home with you, you can say, ouch. Pastor Drew said last week, um, this is a dangerous book because it, it speaks to the tragedy of where we are. Because the reality is this still is the most segregated hour in America. For some, an hour, some an hour and a half, some two hours. <laughs> and depending upon your faith, it might go three. <laughs> Ouch. Amen. <laughs> But I wanted to show you today briefly before I got to the text how this plays out in, in the church today. Um, because I truly believe that the church is embroiled in a case of mistaken identity. And wherever there's mistaken identity, it can lead um, into an identity crisis, which I believe that we're in. And here's my premise. Wherever there is a church in crisis, you'll find a community in crisis. Wherever you find a church in crisis, you will find households in crisis. Wherever you find a church in crisis, there'll be mother and fathers and and husbands and wives who will be in relationship crisis. Wherever you find a church... In crisis, there will be children in crisis. And if children are in crisis, schools are in crisis. And if schools are in crisis, one thing leads to the next. And the entire society community will be in crisis. But there's good news in America. We elected our first African-American president. And I am so glad that I did not get just a rousing stand on your feet, clap your hands, shout, jump up and down, cheer, because I've come to tell you today that be not deceived that just because the United States of America has, uh, has elected Uh, a a black president doesn't mean that we are not still in the midst of an identity crisis, especially in the church. And the reason I say that is simply this. The church was never designed to follow. We were designed to lead. Ouch. The church was designed to take the lead role And not necessarily follow, because I'm going to tell you right now, I did not, if you would have told me in my lifetime that the United States of America would have ever elected, and not only elected, but installed an African-American president of of these United States, I would have told you, you are a liar from the pit of hell. I would have told you that, honestly, because I never thought... Um, that the country would do that which was first supposed to be emulated in the church. And I've always believed since the household of faith 
is, is so racked with confusion and issues that the country would never do something that we were designed to do. But the Bible continues to, to, to fulfill itself because sometimes the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Listen. This text in verse 38 Paul is mistakenly identified. They say, Paul, after the Roman soldiers get him and there's chaos, they say, aren't you the Egyptian? Who went out into the desert, took 4,000 and created a riot some time ago. Aren't you the Egyptian? Now, I want to share this with you because when I was coming up, the history books made us think that Egypt was some other place than where it was. Can anybody tell me where Egypt is? Africa. It's in Africa. But when I was growing up, Pastor Drew, I thought that Egypt was some place where nice pharaohs from Hollywood um, <laughs> Reigned and and everybody uh, looked more European than they did African, and so when I began to read this text, especially from an African American context, I said, "How could it be? How could it be that Paul is mistaken for an Egyptian?" Now, <laughs> this is funny. My wife asked me uh, this morning. She said, um, are you going to um, mention the fact that, uh, you know, Jesus was black? <laughs> Y'all loosen up, loosen up. It's okay. <laughs> oh, Lord. And I, and, and, and I smiled. Um, and, and here's the reason that I smile. There is nothing wrong with people of faith coloring the gospel of Jesus Christ to meet their circumstance and situation. It only gets us in trouble when we do it to the demise and the hurt of others. Do you hear what I'm saying? There, there is nothing wrong with an iconic view of Christ being white. There is nothing wrong with an iconic view of Christ being black. There is nothing wrong with an iconic view of Christ being Japanese, Chinese, Native American, Hispanic, so forth and so on. The problem is when we color him to the extent that he loses his identity because I believe that his father was of spirit. And when Jesus met the woman at the well, all he told her was, I need you to worship in spirit and in truth. And so sometimes because of our situations and circumstances, if we're not careful, we can color that which God has given us permission to do. But if it's done to the demise of others then it's wrong. Amen. 
Now, I want to show you. I want to, I want to, I want to pull, this, pull this a little closer. Um, show you how the church can easily get into um, an, an identity crisis. And, and then I'm going to get into these texts. Many, many years ago, when I, when I first came into the church, I want to talk about cultural differences just for a second. Um, my tradition, and, and for those of you who don't, don't know, I, I am now fully accepted into the presbytery as of latter part of last year. But my background is Baptist. It's Baptist. That's, that's, that's where I was born, raised, came to Jesus. That's my history. And so that really makes me a Baptirian, in a sense. And like the President of the United States said, I, will, I, will, I could no more denounce my, my heritage than it would be to em, embrace where I am now and forget from whence I've come. But the reality is, for a lot of folks, and Pastor Drew, this is going to really shock a lot of folks, Jesus is not Presbyterian. <laughs> I, know, I know that's shocking, but he's not Baptist, he's not Methodist, he's not Catholic, he's not Episcopalian, he's Christ, the Son of God. There, there's a book out, there's a book out that asks, would Jesus be a Christian? And I wanted to raise my hand very quickly and say, no. Jesus says in his word, I did not come for the Gentiles, I came for the lost house of Israel. That doesn't mean that we can't accept him. We have to accept him within the context of reality that he came. Amen? Okay, okay, let me, let me I, I, gotta, I gotta make this last point. Because I knew I was gonna, I wanted to say something about this. Because of my context, I want you all to hear this, and I don't want any changes. I just want to show you sometimes how, how differences, things happen. I had never, in my context, ever, <laughs> I wish I could get a little reverb, ever, 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 ever. <laughs> I had never called my pastor by his first name. And so when I first got to the presbytery, you know, I, 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 I would get all, I would get my shorts in a wad. I, I forgot to tell you all, I'm a very real, real preacher. Because in the Presbytery, and I found in Eurocentric worship, everybody's on a first name basis. But I had never in my life, and even to this day when I go to my home church, my pastor and I have never been on a first name basis. And that was a part of the culture of just where we had come from. And I remember the first time, Pastor Drew, that a couple people had come from the presbytery over to Winton and they were chipped this and chipped that and chipped this. And, and the folks at Winton were getting all upset. <laughs> Pastor, they are disrespecting you. They are, they're calling you out of your title. And, and it took me a while to get to the point that that's a part of our identity crisis because any identity, and don't miss this, Outside of the identity of Jesus Christ is not who we're called to be. Did you all hear that? That was worth an amen. That was an amen. So let, let me let me get 
to my text. 38, he's been mistaken as an Egyptian. Don't worry, I'm going to be on time. I saw some folks look down. I'll be all right. (laughs) He's been identified as an Egyptian. Um, The only way that you can understand this, we've got to to back up. I'm a movie buff. How many of you all are movie buffs? How many of you all have seen Fearless? Jet Li. Okay. Fearless. My daughter and I watched Fearless last night. It was a great flick. It starts out in 1910. He's fighting. But then as soon as he gets ready, a minute into the movie, it goes back 30 years. And it confused my daughter a little bit because she was like, "Uh, Daddy, what's going on? I said, well, they've gone back to tell the story. The only way to really tell this story about what's going on with Paul, you can't understand how he gets to where he is unless you step back in the text. I need you to understand this. Paul is not having a crisis of identity. Paul is not in a crisis of identity. How do I know that? Because in Acts 9, he has an identity change, which I truly believe the church stands in need of today. Acts 8, I'm going to speed through it, but if you ever get a chance to read it, Paul is is named Saul, he is a persecutor of the church. And he is good at what he does. He's good. Um, In Acts 9, he is on the Damascus road and has a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And when he has a personal encounter, his identity is changed from Saul, the persecutor, to Paul, the proponent of Christ. What happens on the Damascus Road, several things happen, but there's three things I want to highlight because it's important that the church gets its identity together. Watch this. First thing that happens is this. He gets interrupted. Yeah, Paul Paul is on his way. Saul is on his way to take care of business, and God stops him. I believe today that God is trying to do a new thing in his church. And most of the time when he does a new thing, he has to interrupt his people. Amen. He has to get our attention. Sometimes he gets our attention because he needs us to run into something like himself. And so in Acts 9, according to the text, he has a personal encounter which nobody else can see. They, they see Paul knocked off his horse. They see Paul down. They see something happening, but they don't see any body per se. And I'm coming to tell you today that the church is not supposed to be having a corporate experience. We are supposed to be having a personal experience in Christ. Um, I used to tell folks uh, down at Winton, there will be no grandbabies in heaven. In, in other words, what I'm saying is, Grandma can't pray you in. You, you have to have a personal encounter with Christ yourself to, to get in. If you want to stand before God's throne and not hear, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, you've got to have a personal encounter so Saul gets interrupted. Second thing that happened, God blinds him. 
He loses his sight. Goes into the city. He's sent to some no-name disciple named Ananias. Ananias is scared of him because <laughs> he's heard about him. And God says, it's okay, Ananias. You give him the message because he's my servant now. Listen, I'm coming to tell you today what God is looking for when we get our identity right. He is looking for folks who were just so bad in the street that they can be just that bad in the household of faith. You understand? Listen, sometimes folks ask me, does it really take all that when you sing? Yes. Because that's, that's how I used to sing before. Now, I started singing in church, but I, I can sing just about anything. But I said to myself, if I can sing that hard, some Luther Vandross, some of y'all know what I'm talking about, some Stevie Wonder, some other songs, I can sing that hard for God. So God interrupts Saul because he knew that if Saul was that much committed to taking out Christians, he would even be more committed to bringing Christians in when his identity had been changed. And then the final thing is he was given a mission and sent to Ananias. Why, what's the importance of Ananias? Real quick, Ananias is this. Everybody needs somebody to get where God wants you to be. God created no islands. Behind every good looking, brand new suit, baby blue shirt, pastor, <laughs> is a mother on the second row, a wife on this second row over here. See, this doesn't happen by itself. It happens in succession. So I want you to understand today, Paul is not in an identity crisis. This is, this is not his crisis. And listen what Jesus says in Luke 12, 49. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to put a father against a son, a mother against a daughter, a mother-in-law against a daughter-in-law, and I'm coming to tell you today, the church was never, ever designed to become a country club. We were designed to be this uncomfortable, mm, shoes a little bit too tight, uh, because we're just sojourning through. This is not our home. This is not where we're supposed to end up. Organization that is really not an organization, but an organism in Christ. And therefore, God knew that there needed to be creative tension in his house because his people would get very comfortable in the pews. Ouch. Can you go to slide one? Okay, now, now I'm moving. Listen to this. It says... Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. This is Acts 21.4. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Can you hit the next point? After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Abagus came down from Judea, came over, coming over to us, took Paul's belt, tied it 
around his hands and feet and said, the Holy Spirit said, um, in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind its owner of the belt, hand, feet, and tie them over and hand them over to the Gentiles. Um, this text is embroiled in controversy from the word go. I'm, I'm here to tell you today that wherever the church is, there will be controversy. Wherever the real church is, there will be controversy. Now listen, this text has messed commentators up. Commentators have said this. This is why Paul's in trouble. Paul disobeyed the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave Paul two warnings. One warning was with the disciples, and now a prophet has come and told him, boy, don't you go to Jerusalem? If you go to Jerusalem, they're going to get you. I said to myself, Pastor Drew, how is it that Paul contradicts the Holy Spirit? He wouldn't do that. Would he? <laughs> no. And I stand opposed to the commentary commentators today because I don't believe that that's what's going on. Watch this. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit would contradict itself? No. Okay. Let me show you how this plays out in church. And when you're not really identified with Christ, let me show you how it works. God has told you to do something. You know exactly what it is. You've been given your marching orders. And you're on your march. And somebody comes to you and says, Pastor Drew, God told me to tell you, I don't think we need to do nothing with any other church. God told me to tell you that we need to stay right where we are. And then all of a sudden, a prophetess comes from down the street. <laughs> I better not joke too much. You guys. <laughs> And says, don't do it. They're going to bind you up. They're going to tie you up. Now, what, how could the Spirit of God tell him one thing, the Spirit of God tell somebody else something else to tell him without there being controversy? Let me make it very simple to you. Sometimes God will give instructions to the man of God, send someone else by the Spirit, to tell him no, to provide an option for this man to make a decision whether or not he has truly heard the voice of God. And I need you to understand today, there is no conflict. God can tell you to go tell the God of man something that God has already spoken to the man of God. And the question, there is no conflict there. The issue is whether there is understanding of what God has instructed him to do. There's no conflict in this test, in this text. The reality is, is simply this. Paul understands he's getting ready to catch it. The question is, because Paul has not in the midst of an identity crisis, he says, I've counted the cost. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm ready to go. Okay. Give me slide two. Thank you. 
I want to show you really what the real problem is in this text. Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our laws and this place. And besides, he has brought them Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. Lord, Lord. <laughs> Woo! I listened to uh, pastor's uh, sermons, like I said last week. Them heathens. <laughs> the ones who, as Pastor Drew mentioned, there is record that has existed for some 2,000 years that we shouldn't even, if we're Jews, help them heathens even deliver their youngins because we're participating in defilement. And how dare Paul not only teach them, let me show you how, how this parallels with our history, not only teach them to read and write, to learn arithmetic and subtraction, but to bring them in to the church. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Whenever you make a decision to embrace God in the fullness of what he's calling the church to do, because I got some news for you. According to the scripture, Jesus said, this is a hospital. This is where sick folks come to get well. This is a place where everybody is somebody, but Christ is all. But the Jews got upset because the real issue is he brought some Greeks into the temple. And I'm coming to tell you, Pastor Drew, and I've told the folks at, at, at Winton, they're probably, before this thing is over, will probably, there will probably be a riot. And I believe we're ready for the riot. Because it's going to be a good thing. How much more time do I have? I'm, I'm asking, how much more time do I have? You keeping up with... Two minutes? Two minutes. I, I, can, I can do this in two minutes. I can wrap it up. I believe today that the church is being called to be in rough places. I believe today that the church has been designed by divine design that we are equipped to do everything that God has called us to do. In other words... We have on the full armor of God. Dressed, ready for battle. But here's the point that I'm going to leave you. Can I get my last slide? Uh-oh. Go to the next one. Uh-oh. Go to the next one. <laughs> Amen. Now, now listen. Uh, no, that was not planned. So, so nobody have a, have a hissy. I, I, I explained to the choir earlier, there are no mistakes in Christ. 
even though there's a whole bunch of slides that I didn't talk from, there is no mistake in Christ. Because you've got what God wants me to give to you. And I'm going to close it up with this. Um, I am a storyteller for many generations. I told Pastor Drew, I can pontificate with the best of them forever. (laughs) And I can go on and on and I really don't run out of time. But God wants me to leave you with this because I truly believe our time is now. It's right now. And it's not because of where the nation is. It's not because we've got our first African-American president. It's not necessarily even because I came asking Pastor Drew to to make a consideration because I never knew what he was going to say. But it's because our time must line up with God's time. And whenever the church lines up with God's time, that means we'll be in step with where God wants us to be. So I'm going to leave you with this, this little this little uh, story because I know uh, Winton has heard this and maybe some of you all have too. Um, there's a story about this man and, and his wife who are going down the road in a, in a covered buggy. And as they're going down the road, the horse stops. The man keeps hitting the horse. Horse won't go. Man gets out. Walks down, stands in front of the horse and says, that's once. Goes back up, gets in the buggy. Going down the road a little bit further, horse stops again. Man gets out. Looks at that horse and says, twice I forgot to tell you behind that man up there his wife's sitting up there with him (laughs) man gets in going down the road a little bit further horse stops again man gets out pulls out his gun Kills the horse dead in the middle of the road. There's a horse. Walks back up. Gets in the buggy. His wife looks over at him and says, why don't you shoot the horse? He looked over and said, that's once. <laughs> listen, listen. The moral of this story, and as I close, is simply this. God has given us an opportunity. Not once, not twice, not three times, but he said 77 times seven. I've forgiven you. (laughs) I've forgiven you. I've forgiven you. All he's waiting for us to do is forgive ourselves and get on with being his church. This is not ours. This is not ours. There is no message that I preach that is mine. It all belongs to God. 
And you all have endured me and survived. <laughs>